This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. The Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast is here, and it doesn't sound the same without Alan kicking us off. I love Alan <laughs> kicking us off. Before we had Nate List for many years kicking us off, it always sounds worse when I kick us off. But I thought, hey, one of these days, I'm going to I'm gonna take the host chair. And I thought, why not today? No, Alan, I'll be the host. Why not? Why yeah. not? We've got two extreme player profiler dynasty experts, two of the best. In Theo Greminger and Maddie Kiwoom here with me today on the Sonic Truth. We have a super flex startup draft that Theo and I are in that is going well while it's not going well. So it is a living hell where we like our teams. We like our teams. Good. We're fine. It's great stuff. Theo's doing great as usual, but it's also a living hell for me. And we'll talk <laughs> about that a little bit later. And then there's also some news. We get some news in May about Antonio Gibson. So we mm -hmm. should we should jump into that at some point. Talk about Antonio Gibson. Also, Gibson vis-a-vis -vis Brian Robinson, because in the startup that Theo and I, it, we, of course, saw Brian Robinson go rounds before Antonio Gibson, which doesn't make any sense. And I also want to give a shout out to Cody for hosting last week. It's great to be back with you guys. Cody's a hero for our time. And start, though, with Javante Williams. So we have a coach speak about Javante Williams. It's not really coach speak. I think it's coach lies. Outright blatant lies from Sean Payton that Javante Williams will not be put on the pop. Your thoughts, Theo? I think he's he's definitely exaggerating the truth. But I think that there's a it's 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 good to hear. I mean, there's some there's a lot of optimism there. Yeah, um, you kind of, kind of, kind of like you got to filter out the coach speak this time of year, Matt. You know, kind of we'll, we'll see, we'll see how this thing progresses. But but this is a guy that we thought maybe could miss the entire season or at least like half of the season. So if anything, anything like something where if it was like a four weeks, six weeks, that would be a big win, I would say, for Javante Williams, dynasty managers to only miss six weeks. Six weeks is a win. I think this is a guy that has been priced in where we're really going to have to take a, a, a haircut in year three. Yeah, six weeks was what's priced in. I mm. think if he misses three weeks, that's a win. Three weeks is – I think three weeks would be a, a massive win. Like, I meant – I was anticipating a little more than that, and I think that, like, based on some of the things we've seen with the the the, the trade value for him, some of the things we've seen with, uh, you know, kind of the falling prices in, in early best balls, like, 
this year was going to be a tough one. So I think if you're saying three weeks, three weeks would be amazing. Um, for for me, I think you know having him in the first half of the year would be a win if I have Javante Williams for for Dynasty. I'm I'm taking a little. I had a little more pessimism with this sort of injury, uh, and I was I was very very worried about him. So I don't have a lot of Javante Williams right now in Dynasty. But if I if I did, I would be I would be very happy. And a lot of people sold low, uh, maybe thinking this year would be a, a wash. And and you know, hey, if Javante Williams comes back uh, strong and finishes the year well. I mean, you've talked about him, Matt, as a guy who could potentially gain value next year, especially because of his oh, talent, yeah. his age. So, you know, you're you're looking pretty good for some of these dynasty managers who bought him low. Three weeks would be fantastic for Javante's return because look at what the, the Denver Broncos did. They didn't really do a whole lot in terms of killing his value over the long term. They brought in Samaj P. Ryan, two years, seven and a half million, but the deal is really a one uh, year deal for four and a half million. They brought in Tony Jones, which is just a former New Orleans Saint that I think Sean Payton brought aboard. So no real uh, concern there. They didn't really add anything in the draft in terms of running backs. I know they only no. had five picks, but they didn't add anything. But you take all this together and you wait up against coaches speak. I don't freaking trust coaches. So I don't see I'm not I'm not taking this as any type of holy grail bit of news. It's optimism, but I'm still going to proceed with a lot of cautious uh, optimism at best. Look what JK did last year. He rushed they rushed him back. Ended up pretty much tanking his entire season until the very end where he looked good, but the guy looked slow, hobbled. So which path do they go? Do they rush him back and risk uh, further injury hurting the whole season? Or do they hold him out for that six weeks? And either way, I'm being very, very cautious. And I don't trust Sean Payton because I don't trust any of these damn coaches. And Samaje Piran getting key snaps with a role that we all hated in Cincinnati, right? Why is this guy out there on third down in a playoff game getting yeah. targets what's what why what is happening here in the super bowl <laughs> yeah it was the super bowl it was actually it was not just a play it was not any playoff game. <laughs> it was the game it was the game it was the play it was a super bowl wasn't it like a fourth and in inches or a third and in inches it was like the biggest play of the game they're like give me some aj give me p ride baby NFL teams like Samaj P. Ryan. Samaj P. Yeah. Ryan is underrated. Zach Taylor loves him. I still think that Samaj P. Ryan is a value in seasonal leagues. Anyone that's in win now mode in Dynasty should be gobbling up as much uh, Samaj P. Ryan as possible. This just drives down the price of Samaj P. Ryan. Just like Maddie talked about, what are the choices? The choices are you rush him back and he aggravates the injury, or they don't rush him back and it's like a eight week you know, a process to get him back onto the field. And then what happens once he's active, he's not going to be a bell cow. Like he's not going to be a bell cow in 2023 at all. Maybe the last few weeks of the season, he'll get 55% plus opportunity share and have a chance at bell cow touches. Maybe, mm -hmm. probably not, probably not because they have Samaj P. Ryan for this year. That's why he was brought in. Exactly. Why so, he's brought in. I know that Theo, <laughs> the, the news comes out, and he's like, oh, man, 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 what if? Yeah, I guess that that's, it's possible, but. The optimism, guys, the optimism. You're, you're an <laughs> optimist, but, but, but have you actually put this into motion, into practice? Have you actually drafted more Javante Williams? No, you have not yet. No, I have not drafted Javante, and I don't really think I'm going to. I think that, uh, like, you bring up Samaj Piran. I think that the. The 50-50 split would be fine with Sean Payton, and it would keep Javante Williams fresh, and it would keep Samaj P. Ryan fresh. 
And I think that would be the ideal kind of outcome uh, in Sean Payton's mind. I don't think he needs a, a bell cow in his offense. I mean, you think about some of the very successful offenses um, in New Orleans had multiple backs that were scoring fantasy points. I mean, the, the biggest example was was Mark Ingram and, and Alvin Kamara, who did it the same time, multiple times. And uh, I don't know. They're, they're a funny team. They were dead last in points per game last year. They make this big move for a coach. They add Marvin Mims and they add Samaje Pirine. Uh, well, they gave up a first round pick to get that coach. So first of all, it was a terrible hire. Bringing in, <laughs> I love how the vast majority of football fans think it was a fantastic hire. We got Sean Payton. This is the key to victory. Whoa, whoa, you're burying the lead. You gave up a first round pick for a guy that doesn't play. What are you doing? After giving up a top five pick for Russell Wilson. In for a penny, in for a pound, baby. The collected picks they traded for Peyton and Wilson. I mean, think about all the players you could have added for for those two guys alone. Uh, it's wild. It's wild. Yeah, it's it's a constant with NFL fans not fully appreciating the value of draft picks. Right, Teams trade up. Right? They love it. They love it. We got our guy. Trade up to get our guy. Right, Forget all the picks we give up in the future. Houston is going to be haunted by this trade-up to get Will Anderson. We know that, right? They're going to, they don't have their 2024 draft pick, which is a crime. And the Saints constantly trading their, their draft picks. That is a crime. That is criminal. Trading a first-round pick for a coach is it just... An, but because you can't tie the pick to a particular player, it's just ephemeral. It's just in the air. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. we can't really pin a value on it. But we got the coach. That's the key, right? So Javante Williams is a great pick. He's like one of the best running backs in a productive struggle where you have decided I am going to be competitive next year. I'm going to focus on rookies this year. I'm going to you know, shirk all the veterans. And I'm going to circle 2024 on my calendar. Then Javante Williams is a smash. Otherwise, fade. Now, let's hear from Underdog Fantasy. Let's take a moment to talk about Underdog Fantasy. Now, many of you have already signed up. Thousands have signed up from Player Profile already over the years. Underdog has supported us since 2020. Much of what you see on Player Profiler is because of Underdog, because of their support. Get the Underdog app, plug in that promo code UNDERWORLD, and they're making the NBA fun. Their NBA pickems. It's changed my Wednesday night. It's changed my Sunday afternoon. I used to play underdog just for the best ball drafts. I mean, the best ball drafts are amazing. These draft rooms fill so quickly, and you can win life-changing money. You want to take advantage of all the sleepers we talk about on this show? Well, what better place than in an underdog draft room to do that? And I recommend taking your underdog play to the next level by diving into their NFL pickems. It's important to correlate those NFL pickems. You can pick both the quarterbacks and the wide receivers to exceed expectations. Correlate them, and you can 5X your payout. Bada-bing, bada-boom. Underdog Fantasy, the promo code is UNDERWORLD. For an instant deposit match up to $100, Underdog is the truest friend of the underworld. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild.
Antonio Gibson. Thoughts? I mean, I I'm, still love Gibson. I can never, ever, 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 ever quit Antonio Gibson. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He's got the skill set. And for what Ron Rivera, Riverboat Ron, did to him last year, I mean, he should be in big, big trouble. I'm going to say big, big trouble. First game of the season, he had eight targets, seven catches. He had over 130 total yards. He dominated. He looked great. And then it was just a slow fade out of that role over the course of the entire season. For what? For what? To get Brian Robinson a slug with no upside, more touches? For what? 30 carries up the middle. 30 carries right into the offensive line. You got to go to to Antonio Gibson. But guys, is Eric Bieniemy that angel from heaven for us? Is he going to do it? Well, he certainly, it certainly can't get worse than it was at times for Antonio Gibson last year. This is a, just simply the fact that J.D. McKissick is not there at all. I mean, McKissick is a guy that whenever he's on the field, he commands targets. It's just, he's a guy that when he plays, he gets four or four and a half targets, five targets. He's gone. Uh, Brian Robinson, that that's really not his game. The the running back that they drafted, uh, Chris Rodriguez, they, they really, they really like, but he does not uh, catch the ball. So it's, this is like Antonio Gibson bounce back season. And this is not a guy that we need to like really like pound the table for. He's averaged 14 points per game or more twice in his NFL career. Like that's very, very solid numbers. Right now he's getting drafted like around running back 40. I think that that's going to correct as the summer moves along and it becomes more apparent that there shouldn't be a gap, Matt. Like if anything, Antonio Gibson is the kind of profile that could flip him. Um, you know, where they end up both getting drafted as, as running back threes and you kind of make your bet because Gibson, if Gibson has a weekly role that we can kind of rely on in this offense, just in terms of reliable touches, it doesn't even need to be a high volume guy. He can do a lot with a minimal amount of touches in terms of hitting like that 12 point per game mark, um, in like being a flex consideration guy all season long. And he's got the ability to provide spike weeks there as well. So like I'm in on Gibson, Billy and I already talked about him as on first last fantasy as one of the handcuffs that you wanted to get like in early drafts. And now you're starting to see like a potential dynasty bounce back. And Matt, this is a guy that like on his second contract could be really, really an attractive player Mm -hmm. next year in terms of gaining value. So I I love the Antonio Gibson speak. Um, Even if, you know, we can't really trust the coaching staff uh, with Rivera I think that just the fact that McKissick's gone, he's the only back that kind of has that skill set there. Do you know that Antonio Gibson was a top 30 back last year in fantasy points per game? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and he was a top 20 back the two years before that, and last year Antonio Gibson also set a career high for receptions. He had 46 catches, and this was a season that J.D. McKissick was healthy at the beginning, didn't obviously done now, but we start the year with no McKissick, it's going to be a 50-50 split. And this is not a team that we're projecting to be out ahead, especially in the mm-hmm. NFC East, right? So Washington playing from behind. They have Sam Howell at quarterback. If not Sam Howell, it's going to be Jacoby Brissett. They're going to be dumping it off a lot and passing it a lot, right? It's it's This is not the team situation that you want for Brian Robinson. I, I don't understand how Brian Robinson doesn't get – you know, pushed into the deep late rounds of a dynasty startup. Who are these people that are drafting Brian Robinson, trading for Brian Robinson in dynasty? And then you get this validation like, hey, you like coach speak when it confirms your, your biases and your priors, but you fade the coach speak or you criticize the coach speak or you dismiss the coach speak 
when it's coming from Sean Payton and it doesn't align with your assumptions about Javante Williams' uh, injury recovery, well, the bottom line is I've always believed Antonio Gibson is just a far superior talent. And it just makes logical sense that after a year of assessing who these players are and going back and watching all the film from last year, that the coaches would huddle up and say, actually, Antonio Gibson touches help us more than Brian Robinson touches. That's all we need to know. Yeah, and this is like the whole notion of taking a Brian Robinson, Matt, in a in a quality round. Like when you get down to a certain level in Dynasty Startups, the quality kind of loses every round. You know, I don't know what the percent percentage would be. Certain certain rounds are kind of flat versus others. Certain it's a huge drop off. But when you take a player like Brian Robinson in a dynasty startup with, oh. with a valuable pick, oh. you're basically drafting a floor play. Like drafting floor plays in in a dynasty startup, then you're stuck with a guy that you know you're hoping he hits you know what ten points per game, eleven points per game. Like what can he give you? It's not even like Antonio Gibson is a pure satellite back. He's not. He's not J.D. McKissick. He's not 195 pounds. He's 228 pounds. He had two consecutive seasons with double-digit touchdowns. So it's the, there's no guarantee they even use Brian Robinson inside the five. In fact, if I'm Washington, I'm putting Gibson back there and keeping the defense honest. All Brian Robinson does is telegraph to the defense what you want to do. <laughs> it's it's the fumble, though. Like like you like you say like. Ron Rivera continually likes kind of a boring running back that doesn't fumble. And I think like that's the the issue with Antonio Gibson is he's had timely fumbles uh, in the Ron Rivera era, even when he's scoring the double digit touchdowns per year with the receiving upside. Like we love him in fantasy, but I think that the Washington staff, at least last year with Turner and Rivera, they didn't really trust him. That was with the Brian Robinson. They even brought him back like, you know, after after he was shot, they were still quick to you know bring him back. Mm. I think it's uh, it was a complete a little bit of a lack of trust. But at the end of the day, yeah. like the pressure is on Rivera might be traded at midseason. Like you need to get the ball to Antonio Gibson's hands. It gives you a, a much more of an offensive threat. I think that there's also the fact that the enemy's around. We saw a lot of those manufactured touches for Curtis Samuel to start the season last year, where that might not really be part of the offense. That might be of hey, let's get the ball in Antonio Gibson's hands. Um, I expect that Jahan Dotson and McLaurin are guys that we can kind of rely on for, you know, at least a, a, a weekly target share. Um, but I think after that, like looking for third fiddle in the Washington offense, I think that Antonio Gibson could be it. I think right now he's a great value. Um, you could have got him in a lot of these rookie drafts for like a late second rounder in a non-super flex. Like people were taking that for Gibson. Um, this might make him a, a little bit more expensive, just the, any kind of positive News, even coach speak makes things you know people a little less you know apprehensive to trade but I I think he's a big target because of the potential for a you know a year four uh excuse me year five he's on a new team yeah uh and he's he's a very attractive you know free agent candidate he could exceed expectations this year and then certainly could go on and be a bell cow the following year you know how many fumbles he had in his first year in the league not off the top of my head zero you know how many fumbles he had last year one one, right? No. This is the problem with these NFL coaches, the, the 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 older coaches especially, the backward coaches. Just how and why Washington ever hired a Ron Rivera? It 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 boggles the mind. It get, it, mm-hmm. it it just scrambles your brain when you see 
organizations that are worth billions of dollars hiring people that don't understand probability theory, the basics of probability theory. It's just a long tail. Guy goes from one fumble to five. Do you think that he suddenly developed a holding on to the football problem? Or was it just random chance that the ball just happened to squirt out, a helmet just happened to collide with the ball at a certain angle a handful of times one season, and it didn't happen the following season or the previous season? (laughs) These coaches, man, you could tell I loathe them. And when with the coach speak, this is just it, it, an unsolicited tout of Antonio Gibson. That's why I'm much mm-hmm. more likely to put you know uh, weight behind this particular comment than talking about Javante Williams' injury because all these coaches push these players to speed up their time clock and to get their body ready to play Week One. That's what they do. They coerce players. They have a history of coercing players to play hurt if necessary. That's what NFL coaches are notorious for. So no surprise that Sean Payton would be coercing Javante Williams and speeding up his recovery. That's why I don't believe anything regarding injury timetables that come from coaches. But when when a comment comes out that player X needs more touches, that oftentimes has more validity. And in this case, there was no reason for him to say this other than an honest moment. Or perhaps because it's a contract year, Antonio and his agent talked to the coaching staff and say, hey, we're not happy. We did not appreciate the touch distribution last season. My client had one fumble. Fuck this. Get him more touches. This is ridiculous. Go back and watch the film. Go to player profile or check out the advanced stats. And you tell me which is who's better. It, the the thing you, you bring up the satellite back pers- like thought about Tony Gibson. He has higher BMI than Brian Robinson. He's built like a, he's six foot two thirty. Joe Mixon type. He's a beast. He can handle whatever they need for him. He's going into that contract year. And to your point, the difference between injury and playing time, the coach has no say with what Javante Williams' body does to heal. But the coaching staff can do a whole lot with the touches that they give Antonio Gibson, the playing time they give Antonio Gibson. So when you talk about coaching speak, one is just kind of echoing what his sentiment is on someone else's body, something he can't do anything about except make it worse by rushing him back. And the other is, hey, can I give more touches to my better running back? That is something they can directly do. Yeah, and, and again, it's it's a fourth-year player. There's not a mm-hmm. lot of incentive to lie about that sentiment. There is more incentive if it's a rookie. So the, the one player X needs more touches remark that I'm more likely to dismiss is anything around rookies because you just invested capital in this player. Mm-hmm. You just told the world that you're bullish on player X. So, of course, you're going to talk about how we, we're excited about getting as many touches as possible and getting this player involved. And the best example of that particular lie where you're like, there's no way in hell this player is going to command a touch, much less a significant role, is Pete Carroll talking about Kenny McIntosh. <laughs> and how they, they're excited to get him involved. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Now, at least with Pete Carroll, he has a long track record of lying. Mm-hmm. Sean Payton actually has been known to tell the truth about players and situations 
on many more occasions with a higher likelihood than Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll is the worst. Pete Carroll's trolling us. He's either that or he's a complete sicko. He's already, you know, stabbed dynasty managers in the back with the Zach Charbonnet pick, and now he's going to talk up uh, Kenny McIntosh. Oh. I mean, like, what's wrong with you, Pete? Go to hell. <laughs> like, seriously, just get out of here. Just shut up. Don't go in front of the camera. Shut up. You know, just be quiet. Nobody wants to hear you anymore. Uh, you know, like you make you you draft Jackson Smith and Jigba. You make a you know super smart pick there, and then you do this to Ken Walker shares, but <laughs> and give us give us all you know grief and agita as Ken Walker dynasty <laughs> managers. So. And then the Kenny McIntosh. Come on. I mean, just what, what are you talking about Kenny McIntosh more? Seventh round pick. Give me a break. Kenneth Walker, though. Didn't you recently catch that Kenneth Walker following knife? Where did you get him in a recent startup? So I'm in an FFPC startup. Um, not a cheap one. And he, I'm sitting there at the, at the 311. And I let the clock go for hours and hours. I already have, you know, a few Kenneth Walker shares. It wasn't like I was trying to get exposure. But at this point, like for this particular draft, this is very low for him. I think in most of these startups, he's going like somewhere in the in the high third round. So 311, I said, I'm going to take him here. I'm going to add another Ken Walker share. And that's that. I mean, he doesn't need to end up being, you know, a high end RB1 for this to, to pay off uh, where I'm taking him, you know, at the 3-4 turn. But it's it's just wild. Some dynasty managers just completely avoiding him. But Matt, it is interesting that post NFL draft in the most expensive FFPC dynasty startup of the year, they do one $5,000 startup every year. And this manager who's pretty well known took Ken Walker. I think it was like the, the 208, 209. That's where he should go. That's where he belongs. That's the right pick at the right slot. The money is still there behind Ken Walker. Um, there are definitely Zach Charbonnet people out there. But I'd say the, the majority of the money is looking at him as maybe a, a beat-up asset. If you have Ken Walker, just ask yourself this. like If you're getting these low-ball offers in your league, it's because people still want Ken Walker, and they realize that this is kind of a buying opportunity. So again, like 311, I'm good with it. If it was 10 picks earlier, I probably would have gone in a different direction. But I think here, I can't really lose. I mean, if he just returns, you know, top 15 running back production then you know for a few years then I've, I've made a decent pick this was super flex this was not super flex he made it that far in non-super flex non-super flex this is not and the dra other draft i was referring to that 5000 was non-super flex as well so uh, this is a non-super flex startup and i got him at the 311 so this is either you know guys like he's not trent richardson he's not no like that's like the, and that would be the kind of the kind of like descent that would need to happen for him to like, if you start talking about fourth round, Ken Walker, I mean, then you're pricing him in. It's, it's kind of like a, it's too much of a correction by the, by the dynasty marketplace, in my opinion. Well, think about who would have to go ahead of him. Think about the running backs that you'd have to put ahead of him. They were drafting Josh Jacobs over him. They were drafting Tony yes. Pollard over him. They were drafting mm -hmm. Najee Pollard Harris went, over him. Austin so Pollard Eckler. was Pollard was the one that I was stuck on. Because it's very hard to make the Pollard Ken Walker decision right now. It's but you're sacrificing so much age. Um, you also have to weigh in the fact that Pollard's on a one year deal. But in terms of betting, if if it was a this team, I'd I'd gone with a somewhat young approach with my first two selections. So it was kind of a do I want to take on the slightly older Tony Pollard versus versus Ken Walker? But I think that's kind of the decision right now is. Now you're facing Ken Walker versus, like you said, Najee Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, 
oh. and Tony Pollard. That's the that's the the pocket for Ken Walker now. But you know, Matt, I used our that, that great is such a rankings. silly pocket to put Kenneth White. He doesn't belong. <laughs> Who doesn't no. belong in this group? Yeah, <laughs> we were taking it's, a test. This is yeah. a multiple choice test. Who doesn't belong? Like, I'd be circling Kenneth. What are you doing? How is this possible? I'm this so is, glad you got him. We, I mean, that's crazy that he made it that far. We have him as a top 20 player on our dynasty rankings, playerprofiler.com, single quarterback leagues. We have Kenneth Walker top 20. I want Kenneth Walker. Yeah. And I was able to get. Yeah. I used our, I use our, so guys, when I'm, when I'm doing dynasty startups, I'm continually referring to our own rankings because I think our rankings are fantastic. And I was able to get Jameer Gibbs, Ken Walker, and Chris Olave with my first three picks. So I have two of our top six running backs and I have one of our top 10 wide receivers. I think that's a, a good start and they're all in their first or second year in the league. It doesn't make it. Kenneth Walker is 22 years old. He's 22. Tony Pollard's 26. I love Tony Pollard. I'm Mr. Tony Pollard. I'm Matt Pollard. <laughs> I'm the Pollard father. The Pollard father. Yeah. Tony, I am your father. Ken Walker's only three months older than Charbonnet, too. I mean, he's not like they brought in this young gun. Who cares about Charbonnet? <laughs> Just saying. He's... Yeah, he was a senior coming out, overdrafted. It just... He's going to help with that screen game, though, boys. That screen game is going to be fire. <laughs> Tony Pollard is technically post-apex. Yes. The age apex for running backs is 24.5 years old. Tony Pollard is technically a year and a half post-apex. Running backs produce half of their fantasy points from age 21 to age 24.5. Let that sink in. That's all we're talking about. We're just playing the numbers. We're playing the probabilities. Austin Eckler is great, but Austin Eckler is 28 years old. Mm -hmm. If you are going chips into the middle of the table, I'm not really playing Dynasty. I'm playing for just winning this year and abandoning the league, winning this year and blowing it up. Then, then it's a debate between Walker and Eckler. Okay, but just default Dynasty rankings, how could you possibly with a straight face have a 28-year-old who is three and a half years post-age apex ahead of Kenneth Walker. It does, I mean, Kenneth Walker put up 13 and a half fantasy points per game last year. What are we talking about? Like, he was productive. He wasn't as efficient as he could have been. He wasn't as effective in the passing game as we would have liked, but he did command targets. And I am skeptical that on any given touch, in any given game situation, that Pete Carroll is going to be motivated to pull Kenneth Walker off the field because he has to get Charbonnet out there. I think time and time again in real life, with real football situations, which is what this particular dynasty, the guy that drafted him in the mid-second round knows, he knows this, that in actual football games, what is going to happen is they're going to leave Walker out there because he's better. And that's yeah. really all you need. To, I mean, what? My, I think the big fear, the big fear that I have, I, I, I think that the idea of getting like usurped by Charbonnet, at least early on, is something that I don't really factor in. I do worry, though, Matt, about clear roles where they take away the goal line work from Ken Walker and give it to Charbonnet. Okay, what if Charbonnet fumbles once? That's that's fine. I'm, not, I'm just saying this is my fear with Pete Carroll is maybe he says, you know, we want to go with a little bit more of a split here. I little I do worry about like it's I, Maddie. I think it's funny too that they talk about like the screen game. 
Like that's not Charbonnet's game. But what if he's the 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 back that they use on in the two minute offense, and they use him as the goal line back? Like those two things to me, it's the difference between Ken Walker finishing as RB sixteen and running back six is you know that goal line work. So that would be a giant win. That would be a huge giant improbable win for Zach Charbonnet that he is able to seize the two minute drill offense and touches inside the 10 or, or an, or just, just an, or we want to have him be like the, 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 uh, the handcuff running back where I think the ideal situation would be. It's like a, like a, like a 65, 35 and Charbonnet's the change of pace back change of pace. He's going to come out there for a whole drives, whole drive in the second quarter. That's what's going to happen. Okay. So again, this is what real, this is how real football works. Okay. How real football works is first two drives go to Walker and he gets all the touches and then for the third drive, they bring in Charbonnet. And Charbonnet is the breather back. That's what's going to happen. And what would be even more heartbreaking for Charbonnet managers, those that have Charbonnet as a guy they think they could actually play, assume he could have some standalone value, the heartbreaking moment would be on drive number three when they pull Charbonnet at the goal line for Walker. Right. See, that that is yes. actually more likely than this idea that Charbonnet is going to get all the two-minute drill work and all of the goal line work. I think there's, there is a, a possibility. I, I agree. There's a possibility he does seize the two-minute drill role because some teams like to designate the auxiliary back with better pass-catching skills as their two-minute drill back. I could see that happening. I could absolutely see that happening. Goal line work? Forget about it. No way. No. No, no way. No way. And Kenneth Walker last year had a 30-point game with zero targets. So he can crush on the ground. He's a closer. He, he, I mean, think of it last year. How many times fourth quarter touchdowns? He, The kid's a smasher. And, you know, two-minute drill, Charbonnet could be out there. And, Matty, to your point, deep pass to DK, he's out at the two. Get out of here, Charbonnet. Let's get into the guy with the higher I mean, BMI, heartbreaking. The most ferocious guy. Yeah, the more ferocious runner. Let's get him back in the backfield and let's get this touchdown. I, you know, I, Walker was so good with only nine touchdowns. I think there's still a lot of ceiling left in his game. I would only draft Charbonnet in a best ball league. I'm in some best ball dynasty leagues. And I think Charbonnet is interesting in those leagues. He's going to have some games, right? He's going to catch some passes out of the backfield. He's going to have a couple games. There's going to be a couple games where Walker misses with injury over the next couple of years. There's going to be some Charbonnet games, but you're never going to be comfortable. You're never. I, I don't see Zach Charbonnet especially a guy who tested the waters after a productive junior season where he was highly regarded and passed. Like it beyond Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker, last year was not a strong running back class. And Walker came on late. It was yeah. basically the Brees Hall class. That's what it was last year. Mm-hmm. And then Walker came on late and was the best running back in college football. But it wasn't apparent that he was going to be that guy until well into October. It was, it was the perfect year for Charbonnet to come out, and he passed because the NFL said, you're not ready, and he had to go back to school and, and put up bigger receiving numbers. Okay, great. I've seen that often, right? These compilers at the college level, that they, they're not as athletic as you were hoping for, and they, they, even with those with size, it's like, okay, this guy seems to check all the boxes, but why the hell didn't he come out early? Why mm-hmm. the hell didn't he declare? And Walker, you know, I, I like Maddie's point about Walker last year. Like, 
week 18 in the must-win game against the Rams, uh, you know, for Seattle to make the playoffs, he had 29 carries. And he had an 87% uh, 87% snap share at the running back position. He's so a dog. Like, Ask Cody. He has one of the highest dog ratings of a running back in recent years. Zach Charbonnet does not. So the other problem is it's very conceivable that Charbonnet shows up to the facility when Walker is there and just shrinks. <laughs> just sees Walker and what he's doing in the weight room, sees what he's doing on the practice field. And again, I hate to bring up what actually happens in real football games and real football practices. But this is what happens. What he's going up against, a guy with 4-4 speed who is one of the hardest working running backs in the league, is going to be incredibly difficult to overcome. From a Pac-12 yeah. Pac running back from UCLA who decided to stay in school one more year to have fun, it just, it doesn't, it, it, it just, it doesn't add up. The case for Zach Charbonnet has never added up. Well, you guys make me feel very good about my my pick. I appreciate that, Matt. And Matt, you guys, that's good stuff. That's very good stuff. You caught the falling knife. See, this is a falling knife I'm happy to catch. I'm happy to catch the Antonio Gibson falling knife last year. Right? It didn't pay off necessarily. We talked about yeah, just over 10 fantasy points a game. But he is going to pay off in Dynasty over the next couple of years on Washington and on whatever his next team is. So these are the, the younger running backs with all-purpose skill sets. I am happy to catch that falling knife. I am not out here trying to catch the Dalvin Cook falling knives. That is not what I'm doing. So someone has to draft these guys. It's usually not me. And I'm not a, you know, I'm not a youth chaser. I'm not Mr. Young Player. I just like players to be pre-Apex, ideally, right? And not have a team situation that is completely in flux where the coaching staff is talking about doing right by the player by helping them move on to another team. We have no idea what team that's going to be, what their role is going to be on that team. Dalvin Cook's a really tricky one right now. Uh, you know, he's in a perfect situation for him in Minnesota. We've talked about this. Uh, Alan, Alan and you and me talked about this a few weeks ago. We had trouble picking a team where he was going to gain value. I think that the two teams that we kind of circled were as a Joe Mixon replacement if the legal battle got worse, which it's looking like it's not going to. Uh, Joe Mixon looks pretty, pretty clear right now. Shocking. Yeah. Did Alvin Kamara miss any games due to suspension last year? Zero. No. Right? So there have been instances where players were caught on camera punching people in the face and missed no games that year because they were part of the criminal justice system and there was a motion and the hearing was delayed and so therefore the NFL gets to punt the decision to the following season so we've seen this movie before with Joe Mixon mm -hmm. that's a falling knife he set his career high for catches last year they happen to be comparable to each other there's a lot of similarities between Antonio Gibson and Joe Mixon including the fact they both set career highs in receptions last year Joe Mixon had like 60 catches last year mm -hmm. And he's on a Super Bowl caliber franchise that has shed backfield talent. They didn't add backfield talent. Yeah. Do you know who the backup running backs are in Cincinnati? Can you guess? Chase Brown, right? Chase Brown, Chase Brown can't play. And Travion Williams. Chase Brown shrank from the moment at the Senior Bowl, claiming that the Senior Bowl was too big for him. But he admitted this. 
Like he admitted, do you realize how anti Kenneth Walker? Do you think Kenneth Walker would ever admit <laughs> that the Senior Bowl was too big of a moment for him? The the lights were too bright in Mobile, Alabama, where he's fumbling, just just puking the ball into the ground, can't catch it, can't pat, can't do anything. The most incompetent running back in the last five years at the Senior Bowl was Chase Brown, and you're going to tell me that he's a guy, and I see him being drafted early in rookie drafts. We're talking about early third round. And I'm like, what? What are you talking? Why would you? What? Right. Says who he's better than Travion Williams. Says who he's better than Chris Evans. Mm. There was pushback, Matt, that uh, my my you know logical call that Roshan Johnson would be this year's day three running back who provides fantasy points. There was some Chase Brown truthers hitting me on that one. Like Chase Brown, and I'll say Chase <laughs> Brown has been going in the second sometimes. Like. Oh. People are trying to make Chase Brown become a thing. Have you ever seen Chase Brown go before Roshan Johnson? I haven't. Because that would be the most objectionable draft pick of the year. No, I have not seen that one. But I have seen Chase Brown go ahead of guys like Marvin Mims, ahead of Tank Bigsby. Everybody in the chat, everybody in the chat around the world, on Facebook, on YouTube, if you have ever seen Chase Brown go ahead of Roshan Johnson, please put that in the chat give us the example and we, we and it just shame 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 and so I, I i'm a bit conflicted i'm a bit conflicted because i recently traded a pick in a startup draft that theo and i are both in the Superflex startup draft hosted by jacks falcone the undroppables guys we love the undroppables and we're in this startup and i was in the 12th round and there was roshan johnson and i i'm in productive struggle mode Right, I have players like Kendra Miller and uh, you know, just uh, um, Jameer Gibbs. Right, I have Marvin Mims. So I, I'm absolutely building for 2024. Kyler Murray, right? Kyler Murray is the quintessential productive struggle quarterback. Right, so I clearly have a strategy. And I was like, wow, Roshan Johnson, Roshan Johnson would be teed up for a bell cow role in an improving Bears offense in 2024. He's got to work through some things, right? He's got to, it's going to take him weeks to fully supplant Dante Foreman, then fully supplant Khalil Herbert, but he will do it. And I did, I did want him, right? But I got an offer. So I got an offer to trade back seven, eight spots. And then two second rounders, a 2024 second rounder and a 2025 second rounder. And if at that point in the draft, you're considering day three running backs, on principle, you have to trade down. You yeah. have to accept that offer. So I snap accepted and it, it hurt. It hurt. And then the manager that I traded with selected Roshan Johnson. And so that that hurt a little bit more. It hurt a little bit more. I was like, "Oh, that was the pick. That was the pick. That was the pick." Yeah. And uh, but unfortunately, this is my least favorite startup I've ever been in because <laughs> the guy I traded with his name is Rhino, and apparently he does work for the Undroppables. Though I've never heard of him. I've never seen his work. I I follow the Undroppables, and yet have no idea where this guy came from. He is the most obnoxious dynasty player I've ever come across. And the etiquette violation that got my attention was that someone that doesn't know you 
right? Your first introduction to a new person, right? In a new league, we don't know each other, right? I know Theo. I know Scott Barrett. I know Danny Kelly. I know Jax. There are killers in this league. There are a lot of guys I respect. I don't respect this rhino nobody, <laughs> right? And I'm the pod father. I'm in very few leagues, precious few leagues. Am I going to give my time for, for a startup, especially non-patron leagues? I'm in a lot of patron leagues, patreon.com slash podfather. Join, and you can join one of my leagues. I'm in like 10-plus patron leagues, and they're all two-quarterback or super flex. They're incredible, patrons only. And so I, I, I'm busy doing all these rookie drafts in these patron leagues. I don't really have time or the inclination to join another startup. But Jax is like, do this startup, do this startup. Okay, okay. And I fly to Greece, and then we have a connection to Corfu. <laughs> and I pull up this app, and in the chat is this guy. You know, OTC, OTC, OTC. <laughs> what time is it in Greece? What time is it in Greece? And I'm like, what the fuck do you care? There's eight hours. The OTC guy, and then the guy with the snarky remarks about your draft picks. And the snarky remarks about trades that are executed and how he won the trade. After the, the trade for the, the Roshan pick, the pick that became Roshan Johnson, where I traded down and fleeced him, getting two second rounders. So think about this. Roshan Johnson is a second rounder this year. And I traded a pick that would become Roshan Johnson for a pick in a few rounds, plus a second rounder next year in a draft that will likely be better. And another second rounder in 2025. Easy. And then you pull up the Dynasty Dominator app, and it's a clear smash. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, this is a clear smash. And so this idea here, I think in the chat, he said that he's going to put that pick that I just traded him back on the block because he ripped me off. And so, and so what he did was he milked all the clock. At the, the OTC guy, the guy that was screaming at me to pick when I'm on a transatlantic flight then drains the entire eight hours trying to trade the pick because he thought he fleeced me, and then he realized very quickly, oh, wait, no one's giving up nearly. Now, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Like, you were tilting. He was clearly tilting because he was trying to trade for the pick before that, the pick before that, and all of a sudden he's like, okay, I'll give two second rounders. Like, okay, Smash. happy to take it. <laughs> clearly doesn't know anything about valuing players in dynasty startups and has no idea how to interact with others just makes the draft experience suck. Just don't be that guy. Don't be this rhino guy from this undroppables draft. Why? Why make the experience for everybody worse? You know why? Because these people are insecure. He knows he's <laughs> in a draft room with killers. He knows he's a no-name nobody who's never done anything going against the titans in the industry like the podfather, he just punts two second rounders for no reason. So what do you do in that situation? You could just chill and be cool and realize what's happening. That, hey, I'm tilting a little bit. I got uh, to get back on the level here. Or I could make snarky remarks to the podfather who doesn't even know me and he's immediately going to think that I'm the worst person to be in a league with. Why? Why do that? Why make it suck? Why? Energy vampires. They're out there everywhere. They're in fantasy leagues. They're in Star Wars. They should have suck all your energy out of you. How, how frequently do you find this character in your startups? <laughs> well, I think that the, the, the whole, like, you find people who get on your nerves in the chats and in every single startup. Every single, I'm not in a lot of startups. So this is every startup you have 
this kind of obnoxious nobody. Yeah, there's always a chirper. Sleeper also like kind of elevates this because it's like the continual chat, whereas it's, it's not like a message board like some other formats where you have to go on a message board and say something. So, but I'll say that the trading for when you make a trade in a startup and you acquire that pick, then that means you should use that pick. You should make that pick quickly. I think that's like that's like it, there's no rule to to using the clock, but when you make a trade, you're not going to suddenly get. Uh, you know, uh, more more value for it, like right away. That's not. It's should you make a snarky remark in the comment that you ripped off the guy that you just traded with? Absolutely not. And that's not does not it does not make people want to trade with you later on. No. So you want to when you you want to walk away like from trade negotiations, even if you don't close the deal. I got an idea. Two days into this league that I'm in, I'm gonna poison the well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. 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 I'm gonna mess shit up, baby. It's illogical. The, the The level of insecurity that you need to be at in order to make such illogical moves and behaviors, it's disorienting to me. Just I, I just can't even relate to this person. Like this is a I was like, wow, I cannot relate to this level of lame. <laughs> That's super lame. There's three things I've learned in my 35 years. The guy who talks about kicking everyone's ass can't throw a punch. The guy who talks about getting all the girls doesn't get girls. And the guy who talks about everyone's transactions, how they stink, stinks at fantasy. And it's also the grinding on those that have not yet picked, trying to speed the draft up, trying to shame people into picking faster. Shut up. Shut up. There's an eight-hour clock. Those are the rules. The rules are you have eight hours. And by the way, when I was on a plane, guess what I did? I set my pre-draft order so that just in case my pick was made and the draft went on. It was perfect, right? I've, my, my draft has gone exactly how I wanted it to. In fact, it was better than that because it's tight end super premium. It's half PPR with a 0.75 PPR bonus, reception bonus for tight ends. And my tight ends are Goddard and Michael Mayer, of course. I talked about Michael Mayer with Anand on the Decision Point show, how he's one of the most underrated rookies in rookie drafts, and Dulcich. And we've talked on this show, Theo, about how underrated Dulcich is, all these eight-target games. I'm like, has Rhino and company, have they not read the rules in their own <laughs> league? I think they would check out the tight end premium. Don't be you're getting you're getting you're getting uh, other other league members of ours are in the chat right now backing you up here, Matt, on make the yeah. pick in all caps. I'm in this draft. This is all accurate. Make the pick. OTC. OTC. <laughs> Complain to the commissioner. If you want to lower the draft pick time to four hours, I'm happy to do it. Put it to two hours. I'll set my cue. <laughs> I don't fucking care. But it's eight hours. What what are you what are you mad at me for? Get mad at the commissioner. You know our patron leagues are not eight hour clocks. It's four hour clocks. You don't need more than eight eight hours. And then they also turn the time clock off. So if it's a pick that you would have made in the evening, you technically have like eighteen hours. Mm -hmm. Which is way too much time. I agree with that. Complain to Jax, okay? Don't complain Don't to finish. me. Complain to your Undroppables teammate, right? Although, I still don't even necessarily believe this guy's on the Undroppables. I've never heard of him. I've never read any of his content, never heard a single take of his. He is the most droppable Undroppable. 
uh, way to not live up to the brand. He is the most droppable, undroppable. You had the proper etiquette. You said, you know, you knew you were traveling. You still managed to get the Goddard pick in while in Greece. You know, I mean, what? I don't know. I don't know, Matt. When you make the trade for, for that's don't you don't use the whole clock when you make a trade. When you make a trade, pick should go in. That's uh, that's startup startup one hundred and one. Lots of violated etiquette in this draft. Uh, just making it worse. Don't make your draft experience worse for your league mates. How about that? How about that as a rule? How about that? That's a good. That's just a set rule. What about table talk, Theo? Have you been any 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 uh, startup drafts with table talk? Because I've seen some of that too. Not in this league, but in other leagues. Table table talk in the in the wrong league. That's going to get you cursed out. Like people don't put up with table talk. You in a, in a redraft sense, you never have table talk either. Especially a live draft. You don't talk about players who are available that have not been selected. So I'm in a in this FFPC draft, and this manager who's picking four picks behind me says that my pick is up for grabs and there's, you know, you're going to have an opportunity to, to, to trade for what all these quarterbacks, Ken Walker still on the board. Well, he was naming like them. A, he was named <laughs> like, he named, he named like six, he named like six players. Oh, no. Stop it. That's not possible. He names like six players. Oh no. A hat tip to guys like Dan Williamson and Austin Martin. Oh, Dan Williamson was, was saw this. No, but if these sort of like FFPC high volume guys, most of the time they're going to curse you out. This this league is a friendly league, and a couple of people got on and said no table talk immediately. One guy explained to him why table talk isn't good. This is guys definitely does not have the sort of experience, but it's it's one of the most like you don't you don't have table talk in any sort of uh, fantasy draft. It doesn't like there's it's it's such a faux pas. It's almost worse than bleeding the clock after trading for a pick. To talk about players still on the board and put it on the on the league boards to say that a picks for, for up up for trade is fine. You can do that even if you're six seven picks behind. Hey, the third round's almost ending. My fourth round pick is for grabs. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But when you start mentioning the trade candidates that have not been selected, <laughs> the guys you can acquire, I mean that's that's wild, wild, wild times. Do not have table talk. No, in no draft and in an auction draft. If you have table talk in an auction oh, draft, oh geez, you can't. Someone might kill you. You might get killed in a live auction draft after the draft. So be very careful with with table talk, guys. You don't know which yeah. manager you're going to offend, but those high volume guys in FFPC, they, they will never forget that 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 manager will be branded a table talker for life. A table talker. <laughs> hey, 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 Theo, you getting ready to nominate Player X? Can you imagine? Oh my god! Can you imagine? That would be that would be wild. That would be wild in an auction. Like when you get down to the end of an auction. Guys are struggling to, to think of their names. And then a lot of these managers are sitting on those $1 and $2 guys that they've been planning their draft around. And they right. maybe have a dollar more than you. And I want to get this $2 guy. And somebody puts his name out there. That's that's That would be almost the worst. But Dynasty Startup putting names out there. I mean, what are we doing? What are we doing, Matty? Bush League. It's Bush League. Well, Bush but, but League. Is it, is it more Bush League, though? Than claiming that you fleeced someone and then putting the the pick back on the block for six hours and then not getting any offers that are even close to what you gave up to get it and then draining the entire clock on a Sunday before making the pick that's up there. They're all they're all up there. And here's the thing: everybody knows that I'm not in a lot of leagues. 
everybody knows that I have a lot of responsibility as the podfather and the founder and CEO of playerprofiler.com, right? <laughs> it is a privilege for me to be in your dynasty league. And then so to point me out and decide that, hey, I'm going to mock this guy. Hey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, uh, to target the podfather of all people who is minding his own business in Corfu. In <laughs> 99th percentile scumbag rating right there. There you go. Is one of the more illogical, irrational things I've ever seen. This is a person who ostensibly wants to elevate his profile in the industry. And so, yeah, I got a good idea. Let me belittle the podfather <laughs> when he's on vacation and badger him to pick faster while he's asleep. Does he know he's taking on a Colossus here? What is he doing? <laughs> it's just like, you have to, like, it was stunning. Like, the whole thing is, <laughs> you have to understand how disorienting this is. I'm like, I'm like, is this happening? Is this, is this person real? Who is this? And I asked Jax, who is this guy? Tell me his name. Won't tell me his name. Oh, he's protecting okay. his identity. Just all I know is that he, he, he does some stuff for the Andropables that no one's read or heard. Because he knows. He, Jax knows that I'm not happy. Scorched earth time. Jax knows etiquette too, Matt. But he's also poking the bear because Jax is also the guy that's sitting there going, yeah, Podfather got ripped off. And I'm like, Jax, I know you're kidding. I know you. We're friends. I don't know this guy. It's different. Yes. Okay? It's different. And I'm not getting that vibe from him, right? I'm getting the insecure lashing out vibe from him i'm not getting the tongue-in-cheek vibe like i am from Jax. it's just it, even in a chat you can sort of tell it's very subtle but you can tell you can tell and this daryl d who's in the chat here daryl d says we don't have time to listen to petty hey daryl d <laughs> you know we're hundreds of episodes in and you know that in every episode of almost any show that i am on since 2014 that I will do or say something petty. We're not going to just break down Javante Williams and Joe Mixon on a loop <laughs> and grind out shows. We are going to have distractions that are real-life anecdotes about what it's like to be in a startup or that, hey, here's a guy that sucks. And have you ever had this happen to you yes no and then people engage in the chat and they say actually i'm in that draft with you and that guy does suck or hey i've had this happen or theo's like can you believe this amount of table talk and an auction this is insane this is fun context that we wrap around the player and strategy talk it's what makes this the best dynasty show in the world and if you don't yep. like it daryl d i have something that you can do a solution which is to hit the stop button on your <laughs> podcast or your stream and shuffle on later oh we say ciao so bye goodbye daryl d <laughs> going old rhino daryl d they deserve each other <sighs> more news sam laporta He's the best player in camp. And by camp, I mean a rookie camp. And by rookie camp, I mean the rookie camp where Jameer Gibbs missed with an ankle injury. So he was by far and away the best rookie in the camp without Jameer Gibbs. <laughs> so that is, I mean, he was tearing it up. Impressive stuff. Wow, Sam Laporta. I'm sure this means he's going to get eight targets in week one. 
Sam Laporta drum beats are strong though, Matt. They take Sam Laporta in the top 40 picks. And now like, it's one thing to say, like, uh, he, should, should your, should your second round pick be stand out in like the rookie mini camp where you have all the undrafted free agent rookies there? Sure. But apparently he was so dominant doing whatever he wanted like Sam Laporta looks like a, like the real thing, and you bring up Michael Mayer. You mean like every day that Michael Mayer plays football? Yeah, I mean, the, I think that it's it, like we've talked about. This is a transformative class, Matt. I know that's why I've been drafting tight end after tight end. I was just in a in a rookie draft, one of our many patron rookie drafts, patreoncom slash podfather. I did the infamous. We talked about this on the phone. I did the thing I've never done before. This is the first time I broke my cherry, my double tight end tap. Cherry has been broken. I am no longer a two tight end start virgin. I love it. I did it. I went Kincaid Mayer. Congrats. I I love that start. I went Kincaid Mayer out of like the 109. I just went Kincaid Mayer. We start two tight ends and I was relatively weak at tight end. And I'm like, uh, I think I think I had Darren Waller too. I was like, okay, Darren Waller's about to come off the escalator. We got to get a couple guys on the escalator. Bingo. Get it going. Incredible value. These guys are going to hold their value. The problem is you have a guy like Jalen Tolbert, who was a second round pick in a lot of leagues last year, late second round pick. And if he doesn't see the field in year one, he's going to be dropped. He's gone. Like, I'm in an FFPC rookie draft, which also includes veterans that were not held over, and we're in, like, the ninth round. It's, like, the it's the bottom. It's the bottom of the barrel, right? We are scraping the very bottom of the barrel, and I keep scrolling past Jalen Tolbert, and I'm like, why? Why would I, right? They didn't give him any snaps, no snaps, no routes, and they bring in Brandon Cooks. I'm like, okay, well, that's this, this guy... No matter what happens with Kincaid, Mayer, Laporta, Musgrave, these guys are going to retain value because the tight ends will get the benefit of the doubt for the next couple of years. And they do have phenomenal prospect profiles, so much so that they're going in the first round and the early second round. And that really matters. Remember, there were t- tight end classes not long ago where the first tight end draft was in the third round. The Austin Hooper, Hunter Henry draft class. There were there were rounds go by with no tight ends. This has happened multiple times. Whereas this is one of the best tight end classes. This is the best tight end class since 2017, since Ingram and Joku and OJ Howard went in the first round. Now I understand that technically two of those are busts, right? And Joku has been a bust. I love Njoku, but so far he is technically a bust. OJ Howard's a raging bust. Partly due to injury, partly due he's overrated because he went to Alabama. And Evan Ingram really only has two good seasons, his rookie year and last year. But I saw that Theo drafted Evan Ingram in this league. He drafted him higher than I was expecting him to go, but that's partly because, Theo, you're going for it, right? Oh, yeah, and this one, uh, I'm splitting the team with Dan Williamson, um, Go District uh, co-host, and, and just a great, great uh, fantasy mind. And we basically, after a few picks, we're, we, we're, we decided we're going for it. So we're pushing the chips in the table. We want to win the money year one. We have like a two-year window. Evan Ingram this year is is very interesting uh, because we saw him close the year last year on such a tear. We like that Jacksonville passing game a lot. I think that Ingram could have another very big season this year. I think maybe in 
there's a point where in in like redraft where he might get a little bit overdrafted, but I think Evan Ingram finishing as like a top ten tight end is something that I, I would I would plan on this year. So yeah, we did take Ingram, but like I love like the the double tight end t- uh, double tap you did, Matt. Like with those two guys, like it, it felt so good, my nipples were tingling. <laughs> I was like, oh. I was like, oh boy, I think I gotta go dog. I think I gotta go mayor here. Oh my god. Two tight ends for two nipples. <laughs> Kincaid Mayor. I mean my nipples were rock hard. <laughs> Clash with these things. Probably rock hard all day long after that. I was I think I was on the beach in Greece. I'm like, man, I'm joining the hard nipple club. It's 85 degrees out here, Matt. What's going on? Yeah. I was like, whoa, this is this this feels good. <laughs> You, you know, uh, you know, Mayer is like one of the best tight ends in college football history. Mayer's terrific. He was their offense. Back-to-back 800-yard receiving seasons. Yeah. And the, the only other tight end with a dominator rating in the 95th percentile are these small school guys that were just dominating small defensive backs in a hybrid tight end wide receiver role because they were outclassing, like, whatever it was, Division II defenders. So, of course... Those types of of tight ends will have, you know, outsized dominator ratings. But most of those tight ends don't end up, right? They don't end up actually paying off. They're Donald Parham from Stetson. Those are the most of the tight ends you see with the highest dominator ratings are the Donald Parhams. So it's like Donald Parham. And then it's like, wait a second. Then you're like Michael Mayer. Like, whoa, this is an early declare from a you know major conference school mixed in with a bunch of small school guys with inflated stats how did he do that because he carried a bad offense he carried i mean as good as laporta is he's more speculative than mayor which is why we have mayor slightly ahead on our rankings yeah mayor's he's right he's he's nfl ready I think that's what I like about him is the fact that in day one, he goes to a, a coach that knows how to use tight ends in Vegas with Josh McDaniels. Uh, he was kind of teed up in there and, and to be to be productive in year one. Now, I do like Mayer. I actually do have him as my number one tight end in this class. Ooh, over Kincaid? Over Kincaid, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Theo's not going to – don't tell the, – that Theo does not want to hear that. I know he's not, and I saw his face. I saw his face. But listen, it's been that listen. way the whole process. I'm not switching it just now. No, I'm not switching it yet. Matty Kiwum can't get them all right. But like as much <laughs> as I love, as much as I love, as much as I love Dalton Kincaid, like the fact that I have the love of Dalton Kincaid doesn't mean that I'm like, therefore like sliding down like Michael Mayer and and Sam Laporta for that matter. And I completely agree with you, Matt, that like Mayer is is more of a polished like NFL ready uh, you know guy. Like Laporta is the kind of player that we think could be great in fantasy. You know, his potential to be like a big time yak guy. He's a little bit smaller than Mayer. Mayer's like mm-hmm. NFL ready. You could like you're gonna he Mayer's a, a three down guy. Like Mayer's the kind of guy that's gonna step on the field, be able to block at the NFL level immediately. Uh he was extremely productive when he was young at Notre Dame. Uh the best compar- comparable we have on player profiler on Michael Mayer's page is is Zach Ertz. Um, and like, that's the sort of like very clean, clean prospect. I think that he could potentially be a TJ Hawkinson level player in this league. I think that's like not out of the realm of possibilities. Like Kincaid's a little bit different uh, of a player. I think he's a little bit smaller. You're projecting him to be used in different ways. Matt doesn't want to hear it, but he might be used in the slot this year, Matt. 
a little bit, a little bit of slot work in Buffalo. Whereas Michael Mayer is going to be a little bit more traditional. Although Mayer did have that at Notre Dame, where they they'd line Mayer up at wide receiver, and he was able to thrive there. So, like, I think at the end of the day, we talked about for weeks and weeks heading into rookie drafts. This is the year to draft rookie tight ends, and hopefully yeah. everybody listened to us because if you walked away, like the thing about Mayer, Laporta, and Kincaid. I actually think they'll have more dynasty value in August than they do right now because these are the kind of guys that have become more evident that all three are going to play right away. All three are like those rare rookie tight ends where you don't have to worry about them getting playing time and kind of being used. We have to temper our expectations year one for, you know, what their production will be. But Michael Mayer is is it. Like his competition is Austin Hooper. Austin Hooper is on like his fourth or fifth NFL team. It's yeah. it's 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 Mayer. It's Mayer. <laughs> Right, and it's like a 30-year-old Devontae Adams, right? Devontae Adams has a couple years left, and Jacoby Myers, the possession receiver? So in a couple years, Devontae Adams will be gone, and it's going to be Jacoby Myers and Michael Mayer. So Michael Mayer has a clear path in the near future to be the target leader and most productive receiver on his team. That's incredible. And you also talk about, like, you mentioned Greg Dulcich. We've talked about Chigakonkwo on this, this show. Those guys are have nothing in terms of, like, the draft cat- capital or pedigree that compared to, care, compares to these three tight ends. But all by flashing and playing well in a small sample size last year, those guys all gained a ton of dynasty value. Like, the tight end position is funny. Like you're Michael Mayer. If Michael Mayer played half the season and plays well for half the season, he's gained value. If he has a full season, he's gained an ex- exceptional amount of value. So highly pedigreed uh, tight ends like these guys, for them to gain dynasty value, it doesn't have to be a Kyle Pitts rookie year. It can just be a, hey, these guys are really good NFL tight ends and they look like they could be top 12 uh, fantasy tight ends for for many years to come. If they flash enough there, then all of a sudden you've made like you took Mayer in the second round, Matt. Yeah, I've been taking him in the mid second round on a loop. Yeah, you can trade him potentially in a tight end premium or a start two tight ends next year. You could trade him for a first. So you know, just mm-hmm. taking him in the second this year, that's like he's the kind of guy that's going to gain value this year. I, I'm fully convinced that all three of those guys gain value. Musgrave is the funny one for me because. He's next to to Kraft, like Tucker Kraft. We also kind of like. Oh, I love Tucker Kraft. Yeah, Tucker Kraft has an incredible athletic profile. So th- that's tricky for me. Like Musgrave, um, Dan Williamson and I took him in in our startup. But like Tucker Kraft sitting there, it's like the range of outcomes. I think I would bet on Musgrave if I had to pick one five years who has in five years from now. Who well, has just more. draft them both. Draft them both. That's it. Draft them both. Like Dynasty is not redraft. Right, yeah. Dynasty, I'm happy to just monopolize a backfield, monopolize a passing game. Like we have the Dynasty Dominator book. In Dynasty Dominator book, we talk about how handcuffing rarely makes sense in seasonal leagues, but it makes a lot of sense in Dynasty because we have these guys for their careers. And so as one guy is rolling off a contract, another guy is rolling on. It makes a lot more sense. And they're a lot deeper. Like This league that we're in is 30-plus players. So it's not like there's a a free agent pool that you can tap into or that there's all this bench space that you need to covet, right? It's bench slots for days, 
right? The problem with handcuffing in seasonal leagues is you have limited bench space and those slots are precious. Well, in this dynasty league that we're in, those bench spots, like I said, they just extend and extend. You have to keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. So what are you really giving up? There's no reason not to lock in whichever athletic tight end breaks out for Green Bay. Mm -hmm. The only problem is Jordan Love. Jordan Love was not an efficient college passer, but Green Bay has some faith. They've seen something in practice to give them the confidence that they can move forward this year. This is not a rebuilding team. They want to win games. The NFC North is very winnable, and they're out there trying to win the NFC North with Jordan Love. They think they can do it. Green Bay has made that assessment that they can do that. So on the one hand, it's like, well, Jordan Love was inefficient in college, but he had a huge arm at the Senior Bowl. So it's possible that his decision-making and his accuracy has improved, though unlikely. But then the probability goes up because of these moves that Green Bay has made, which makes him a great third quarterback pick in Superflex. So I've been a, I was considering Jordan Love had I not drafted Kenny Pickett as my third quarterback. But with Kenny Pickett, he's got great weapons. I noticed you drafted George Pickens. I didn't expect you to draft George Pickens because your team has a very win-now vibe. But just because you're, you want to win now doesn't mean that you can't draft young players. You can draft young players that you think will exceed expectations this year. That's a win-now move. And it also insulates you from having to completely tear the team down and rebuild it from scratch. You're going to have a, pieces like George Pickens. George Pickens was a highlight reel machine last year. And Kenny Pickett was a Konami QB. Right? That's the one thing about Jordan Love I don't like is that Beyond Christian Watson, he has all unproven weapons. He's just a big-arm quarterback. We've seen a lot of them flame out, especially those that weren't top 10 picks. And he's not necessarily super mobile, athletic. Kenny Pickett ran for a lot of first downs last year. And that's another area where you need to look at your rules. I'm like, wait a second. We get a bonus, a .6 bonus for receiving first downs, a .4 bonus for rushing first downs. Well, Kenny Pickett's going to rush for a bunch of first downs. Like, he is the underrated Konami QB in Dynasty, especially when you consider that he was a first-round pick, they're committed to him, he has the weapons, he has the rushing ability. What am I missing? And if you're in a productive struggle mode, and I'm not trying to win this year anyway, Kyler Murray, Kenny Pickett, Joe Burrow, those are my quarterbacks. And the nice thing is I can now use all these other roster spots on running back and wide receiver. By locking in three tight ends and three quarterbacks relatively early, then that sets me up to just pound running back and receiver endlessly to the end of the draft instead of having to try to burn a bunch of picks on highly unlikely, super speculative tight ends. And a bunch of these quarterbacks you're going to see drafted. You're going to see a league this deep, a super flex league this deep. Can you imagine the quarterbacks that are going to get picked in those later rounds? It's it's going to be just lighting roster space on fire. And it's a luxury <laughs> that you have when you draft three quarterbacks relatively early in super flex that you don't need to do that. Kenny Pickett, uh, you know, we, we've talked about him before, Matt, and we... Moved him up in the dynasty rankings uh, this year at Player Profiler. I think that he's really interesting. You bring up the Konami code 
uh, you know, ability that he has. I think that he could take a big step forward this year. And we do really, really like what Pittsburgh did in the draft in, in terms of drafting Andrew Jones, a top-notch tackle. And then they also drafted Washington, a big-time blocking tight end. So with Jones and Washington, I think it's going to keep uh, pick it up right. It's going to make the running game a little bit more effective. And like you talk about the weapons there, like we really like Deontay Johnson. We really like Pat Fryermuth and George Pickens. There's a lot of George Pickens kind of haters out there um, in in – like there's the, the the metrics guys, they say he can't win for zone. Uh, you know, he's a he's just a contested catch guy, can't separate. But this is a guy that I believe in the profile. I believe in the talent. I believe in his ability to get better. And I also believe that re- that receivers take a big leap in year two under Mike Tomlin. It's happened many, many times. The only receiver that took a step backwards in terms of fantasy production in year two was Chase Claypool. And that was because of touchdown scoring. It wasn't because they used him any different. So that's pure if variance. You go, pure variance. You go pure down variance. the line, and and you could throw Fryermuth, even though he's not a wide receiver, into this uh, into this category. But you go down the list from any wide receiver that they they used like top four round draft capital on. They've all taken a big year two leap. Juju, Deontay Johnson, Martavis Bryant took a leap. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Washington even took a leap between year one and year two. No, Pat Fryermuth. He did. He took a slight, a slight leap is. between year one and out. So they all do. They all do. So we'll bet on Pickens, dude. Top twelve in carries last year in only thirteen games, and Pickett had three touchdowns. That was number nine among quarterbacks. Five touchdowns this year. I'm predicting five touchdowns rushing for Kenny Pickett. The way they structure their offense, they get him on the move, and then he just makes that decision: is he going to throw or going to pull it down? He pulled it down a lot. And a lot in clutch situations where he ended up running for a lot of first downs in a first down bonus league. And you notice when you watch the Steelers that he didn't have any time, right? Maybe, maybe George Pickens will be better against zone. He has a little more time to find holes in the zone. If you don't have time to find the soft spots in the zone, how are you going to be good against zone? Zone works the best when you can get a great pass rush. So, of course, if you're a team with one of the worst pass blocking offensive lines, your receiver's going to struggle against zone because the rece- the cornerbacks can can sag back and just watch the quarterback under duress and jump those balls. If that quarterback has an extra second back there, those defensive backs lose that advantage in, in zone coverage. Right. So I'm very interested to see the upgrades on the offensive line. Because we talk about offensive line upgrades all the time. This is going to be a big theme for the Pittsburgh Steelers their skill position guys growing, evolving, developing in conjunction with the big upgrades on the offensive line. It's it's an exciting offense. There's, it's permission to be bullish on the Steelers' offense. You do, and I also factor in the AFC North is becoming a more offensive-minded division. The Ravens, the, the Browns, they've already told us that they are looking to become a more efficient, more high-powered offense, which is good in terms of all the offenses just getting more points on the board. So I think you do have a very much uh, – I mean, I might not be the guy that has the authority to give this to you, Matt, but I'm going to give you permission to be excited about the Steelers' offense. Theo, you agree? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about the the, the shootout division and you know the, 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 the moves that Baltimore and Cleveland have taken. Pittsburgh, on the other hand – kind of went a little bit old school and and fixed the things that were wrong because they do have the offensive skill position talent already right. in Pittsburgh. They've got that figured out. And they're out. all young. They're yeah. all young. 
and they've all had a chance to to develop as players. What an incredible trade to get the second rounder for Claypool, too. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And a free Allen Robinson that'll help the wide receiver room, no doubt about it. Sure. Oh, leadership. Hashtag leadership. Sure. Hashtag leadership. Yeah. Allen Robinson versus Calvin Austin will be the wide receiver three battle for our time. That'll be a that'll be a fun one to watch this summer. Allen Robinson versus Calvin Austin will be the wide receiver three battle for our time. That'll be a that'll be a fun one to watch this summer. You know we're hundreds of episodes in, and you know that in every episode of almost any show that I am on since 2014, that I will do or say something petty. We're not going to just break down Javante Williams and Joe Mixon on a loop and grind out shows. We are going to have distractions that are real life anecdotes about what it's like to be in a startup or that, hey, here's a guy that sucks. And have you ever had this happen to you? Yes, no. And then people engage in the chat and they say, actually, I'm in that draft with you and that guy does suck. And if you don't like it, Daryl D, I have something that you can do, a solution, which is to hit the stop button on your podcast or your stream and shuffle on. Goodbye, Daryl D. Go hang out with Rhino, Daryl D. I'm sure this means he's going to get eight targets in week one. We'll bet on Pickens. Pete Carroll talking about Kenny McIntosh and how they, they're excited to get him involved. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. What's wrong with you, Pete? Go to hell. That screen game's going to be fire. I'm the Pollard father. I can never, ever, 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 ever quit Antonio Gibson. People are trying to make Chase Brown become a thing. The biggest play of the game. They're like, give me some RJ. He knows he's a no-name nobody who's never done anything. Energy vampires. They're out there everywhere. They're in fantasy leagues. They're in Star Wars. They shouldn't suck all your energy out of you. It, it felt so good. My nipples were tingling. Two tight ends for two nipples. <laughs> Make the pick. OTC. OTC. Complain to the commissioner. If you want to lower the draft pick time to four hours, I'm happy to do it. Put it to two hours. I'll set my cue. I don't fucking care. But it's eight hours. What, what are you? What are you mad at me for? Get mad at the commissioner. You know our patron leagues are not eight-hour clocks. It's four-hour clocks. You don't need more than eight hours. Ninety-ninth percentile scumbag rating right there. Does he know he's taking on a colossus here? What is he doing? Someone might kill you. You might get killed in a live auction draft after the draft. He is the most droppable, undroppable. He is the most droppable, undroppable.
two tight ends for two nipples. <laughs>